Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I'm Aaron Schweitzer, publisher of The Source. My co-host is Nicole Vulcan, our editor. We are powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. And today we are also powered by Rock and Dave's Bistro and Backstage Lounge, Midtown's hotspot for bagels, breakfast, sandwiches, soup, salads, and catering. We are certainly appreciative of the time you're taking to listen to us chat with the people who shape our local community. We are casting our podcast eye towards Redmond today and are talking to Adam Duquette. Adam lives in Redmond, where he works from home full-time as a software engineer. He graduated from Oregon State University Cascades in 2017, receiving a Bachelor of Science in Applied Computer Science after moving to Bend in 2014 with his wife, Danae. Adam and Danae have two children, Evelyn, a seven-year-old second grader at Hugh Hartman Elementary, and Arthur, an eighth month old mastering how to crawl. In addition to work and family, Adam serves as a board member on the Hugh Hartman PTC and Building Redmond's Future PAC, a nonpartisan political action committee focused on local elections in Redmond. Thanks for being here today. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Adam, why don't you tell us about, just start off by telling us about well, I was tempted to say you're eight-month-old, but <laughs> probably for the podcast, we'll talk about the Building Redmond's Future uh, PAC. Yeah, Building Redmond's Future, the PAC, it was started last year in July, and it was started between my partner and I, Stephanie Hunter. Uh, we're the two board members that are serving right now. And, um, you know, it has a long history. It was a slow development. It wasn't like overnight. We just decided, hey, let's start a PAC. It was a a slow process, many meetings, many different events that transpired that brought us to that point of deciding, you know, I think I think Redmond's ready to have its own pack focused on its own local elections. So um, I want to just make sure that we help educate. So in your perspective, you know, kind of tell people what a pack is and share your goals for this pack. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, uh, in its most simplest form, I guess a PAC is just an organization that is spending money within the political realm on campaigns, that is. So nonprofits uh, are restricted in how much they can spend on campaigns. A lot of times nonprofits have to be, um, you know, accept every single candidate or every single person that's filed into various events. Whereas a political action committee can be a bit more picky choosy, can have values based decisions that we're making, uh, make endorsements, donate money, even, you know, print signs or, or run ads for a particular candidate that we've decided to endorse. So it's just a mechanism for allowing us to collect money and spend money when it comes to elections. Yeah. You've said that this pack is uh, nonpartisan, which is pretty unusual. I mean, you know, we think of, you know, PACs as being someplace a lot of people like to dump dark money or, yeah. you know, get behind a candidate and not have to really say who uh, who they're actually funding. But y your PAC's different. And yeah. um, why did you, why um, why this type of PAC for Redmond and, and what do you hope to achieve? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think that connotation around dark money gets thrown around a lot when you you bring up the idea of a pack it's like okay what kind of backdoor scheming are you trying to get up to um and and i think that's probably appropriate for for certain packs especially the larger ones but for for us in redmond that's just not what we're after that's not what our goal is instead what we're trying to do is is in part tone down a little bit of the conversation that's taken place you know it's always been a little bit heated i think the pandemic heated it up several other notches and so 
sticking specifically with nonpartisan, we feel like we can try to avoid some of those partisan conversations. It can be a little bit more of a calm tone that we have to our conversations and the issues that we're, we're driving towards. Um, and, you know, that's ultimately what we hope to do is to be able to find leaders within our community that are not interested in partisan politics. We're not here to choose a side. We're here to choose Redmond and our future. There's a lot of decisions that need to be made at the local level nonpartisan positions such as school board, city council, or parks and rec district. Those decisions that are made and the planning that's made huge, huge implications on our community. And, you know, having partisan politics infiltrate that is, is to our detriment, right? It's not a good thing. So we're hoping to elevate the conversation a bit, able to elevate, you know, just the type of leaders that are presenting themselves and coming to, to the table to run for, for election. You just, um, you know, mentioned a couple of the races, but what are some of the policy goals for your PAC? That's a really good question. With us being new, we started out in the middle of the city council election. Well, there's a lot of other things on there, but city council was primarily what we were focused on, as well as um, now school board. We immediately shifted our focus into that. Um, as far as policy, we haven't made decisions around policy and have instead focused on finding leaders who have the character to have conversation around important policy that we need. For anybody that's been following local Redmond politics, you know, our last city council, for instance, kind of just wanted to push along paper and, and didn't really want to drive themselves out of their comfort zone and, and find areas of opportunity to improve our city. Maybe also shut down a few conversations that we all wanted to mm -hmm. have. So finding leaders who are just willing to have a conversation with not only other council members, or in this case, other school board members that are serving on the board with them. Uh, but again, trying to stay focused on what is the real job of these roles, of, you know, city council or school board, and what is it that they're, they're really empowered or enabled to do and focus in on those things. And areas where maybe it's our, our state governor or state senate that needs to, to be focused in on, we can direct our attention there. But there's just a lot of issues that are local to our, our city council and school board that need to focus and they need attention. And they're just not necessarily getting it because we're distracted with other issues. How are you kind of differentiating if you're, uh, you know, it's so easy to, you know, look at the RD on some behind someone's name mm -hmm. and, you know, just make an assumption mm -hmm. about what they stand for. So, you know, what kind of questions are you asking, uh, you know, your candidates and to kind of suss out what where they stand and, you know, what they stand for, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So I some really basic simple questions that we've been asking are things like I'll use school board as an example since we're we're currently in that election just what does a school board do and what are the roles of the individual members right a lot of times people i think have the idea or the notion that they can somehow write state level policy or tax policy or something but that that's not the role of a of a school board it, it has far more um role in governance than it does legislation right so educating around those issues asking candidates do you understand this difference do you understand the difference between governance versus legislation for instance you know asking questions what are recent tax policies that have had implications for our school and our school district have those been positive have those been negative you know these are questions that are beyond the local issue or the the current issue of the day and they focus in more on does this person really understand this job and what is going to be required of them and the types of things that they're going to need to do and not be distracted by single issue candidates you know they usually perform pretty well on that single issue but when they either hit a wall and realize that issue is going nowhere 
or even sometimes they get that issue passed, it's now what? Now what yeah. are they going to do? What kind of board member will they be now? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that that makes me think about is just that, um, you know, that on the flip side, you have the voters who get really riled up over yeah. around a certain issue or they're really, you know, motivated by a certain candidate who promises something that really isn't reality, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's, you know, money that they might spend on a public institution that actually yeah. has no basis in any budgets or future bonds or social you know, issues. Social yeah, issues just anything. Really um, so I guess, you know, the question around that is, have you what is the, you know, the public education component mm-hmm. look like, you know, for you pers- specifically? Yeah. It's a right. It's a it's a two way street here. We have the the folks who are running for election who need to understand the job and, and what they're going in there and what they're going to do. And then also the voters need to have a clear expectation of what they can do and can't do and, and how well they've performed with the promises they've made in their campaign. So with that, there is an education piece that has to come along to the voters. With that, we ran an event earlier this year to try to address that. It was a public event. Anybody could come and we tried to gather in a wealth of knowledge and experience within the schools um, to just ask people who had either served as a school board member or as a superintendent who've um, founded a school, you know, what is it that a school board does? And tr- and try to actually get from them, from their experience, what, um, what that looks like. So, yeah, we're not trying to lose track of the voter in this and educating them and setting those expectations, those, those clear and healthy expectations around what is it that our politicians can actually do once we elect them? Yeah. You know, one of the things about having a PAC right now, especially in Redmond, is that your your politics and your cultures are so fiery. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I was at your last city council meeting, and yeah. uh, it was... Uh, the most, know, the last notable one. Yeah, though. actually, <laughs> right. I got to say, because I, I, who knows when this is going to air, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the one where the public comment had to be shut down, and... Yeah. and uh, very emotional, you know, um, very charged with a lot of commentary on not wanting um, not wanting certain the town to, to grow, not want, wanting to keep, you know, small town character, a lot of mm-hmm. cultural stuff back to what we were saying. Um, how do you feel about stepping into that environment? I mean, you're a new group, you know, mm-hmm. new political action committee and uh, the times in Redmond are certainly... Uh, they're ripe for your organization, but it's it's going to be a tough row, I think. I think you're absolutely correct. But to your point that you just made, you know, I think because the times are ripe, it, it, it is the time when something like this needs to happen. And that's ultimately what drove Stephanie and I to, to taking this route is that you're right. Things are getting charged. Things are very heated. I think it's it's not great when we have residents coming to city council meetings and kind of arguing and yelling at each other and having the conversations that they were having in that particular form. Everybody's entitled to say whatever they want in that moment, obviously within the bounds of, of being decent. But is there a more effective way we can have these conversations, right? Are we wasting our time having these conversations? So much energy and so much time and attention is being put into these types of incidents like oh there was this this conversation that happened can we just for a moment have them over coffee or over beer or something where the temperature can get brought down we don't have to have so much at stake when we're doing this but to be honest with you i I mean yeah there is some worry some hesitation but it's not going to stop us from doing what we want to do that's just a part of what 
you know, what comes with the territory and what we're trying to do. So if you had to describe the political landscape in Redmond to someone who doesn't really know Redmond, mm. you know, someone maybe from Portland who mm-hmm. maybe would make a lot of assumptions, you know, how would you describe <laughs> Redmond? It's such a fascinating place. Yeah, Redmond, uh, you know, we affectionately call ourselves the hub because we're kind of right in the center of Central Oregon. All leads ro- or all roads lead somewhere else, uh, be it Bend, Sisters, Prineville, right? So we have the airport, you know, uh, working class town, conservative, more Republican registration than there is Democrat registration. A lot of NAV, though, a lot of non-affiliated voters. So a lot of folks that I think don't necessarily like to associate with political parties. But at the same time, know and love Redmond as a small town and have enjoyed it to be a small town. For anybody that has not been paying attention, our library recently was torn down so that a new library can be built in its place. Well, this building was originally a school. And this building was almost 100 years old. And so when they, they tore it down, it was it was actually a big deal for a lot of folks in our town. Some of them had actually gone to that school when it was still a school. Some of them had had parents or siblings. So it was this this big moment of growth, I think, for our, our town where you have this building. It has served an amazing need up to this point, but we've just grown out of it. We need a bigger library. And in fact, it's going to be bigger than the, the downtown Redmond. Or, downtown excuse Bend. me, yeah. downtown Bend. Yeah. So we're going to grow into this new, this new, but it came with such kind of a heartache. You know, somebody at the, at the groundbreaking even had to mention, I know this is tough for everyone. And that's the kind of town we are. We still have a lot of the old, long history of Redmond, small town history. A lot of people really cherish that and they don't want to see it go away. And I think there's a way to preserve that history while still not, you know, hamstringing ourselves when it comes to growth because our town's going to grow whether we wanted to or not. People are moving to Redmond for a variety of reasons. And so we need to embrace that growth. Yeah, sometimes I think just looking at, you know, the speed and well, just the pace of Redmond's growth, mm-hmm. I kind of have to wonder if, you know, is there a time in the not too distant future when it's going to be bigger than Bend and more influential than Bend? I mean, these are just, you know, yeah, kind of things I think about. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of uh, hurdles ahead for us, but I think we can get there. Yeah, I think there's there is absolutely a future possibility of us being a bigger town and having more influence in the in this region than Bend has, certainly with the way housing prices are, yeah, you know. Yeah. I know that's ultimately what drove and this was well before the pandemic that drove my wife and I north to Redmond. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot, a lot of different dynamics, economic, social, that are driving the growth of Redmond. And again, we can't deny that growth. We can't stop that growth. It's going to happen. And so I think it's our town's time to just embrace it and, and run with it, see what we can do. You know, our paper has been covering the how People's Rights, the right-wing activist group founded by Amon Bundy, has recently taken over the leadership of the Shoots Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you make of this activity, and how has it how has it changed right, the complexion of Redmond? Yeah, they they definitely have a presence in Redmond. That's undeniable. Um, I think I first learned about people's rights during the now infamous uh, 4th of July parade where somebody dressed up like a Confederate soldier and Mm -hmm. flew a Confederate flag. That's when I first became aware of who they were and started digging around, finding their history. The the history and the ties that they have at the organizational level to extremism and to Ammon Bundy is absolutely concerning. I mean, you just have to look at their, their history in Idaho and in Oregon to see, you know, this can be a dangerous group. I think what they are trying to do in Redmond is more socially driven. 
they obviously still have their militia ties and they have their history with that through other organizations, not through people's rights, specifically just the characters involved. But I think, you know, it, it's evidence that they put so much effort into um, running for PCP positions within the, the uh-huh. Redmond Deschutes Party or the Repub- Republican Deschutes Party and then taking over its leadership, um, you know. There's nothing that stopped them from doing that. They're more than welcome to do that. Let's see what the voters think of that, though. I think in my conversations, there's a lot of individuals who lean conservative that are not happy with that leadership. So it's a decision that the Republican Party of Deschutes County needs to to figure out. It's their decision to make, and we'll see what kind of candidates they run and how successful they are in that. Well, they're making a splash nationally, wasn't it, the Wall Street Journal? That just... No, um, they were actually mentioned in a New York Times New York opinion Times, piece this yeah. week, um, just the, the advent of, you know, the all the, well, the makeup of the Deschutes Republicans specifically was mentioned uh, yeah. based on an OPB story, which, you know, a little shout out, we were be, we, we, we were ahead of them in reporting that. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've read the OPB story, but I have not read this New York Times opinion piece. I'm interested to see what they, what they have to say. But again, I, I think it's just, you know, a, a lo- for me personally, a lot of what has driven me to starting Building Redmond's Future and getting evol- involved is there's a lot of things that happen that you have no control over, such as pandemics, and you get really frustrated by it, right? And you just really want to have some change that you yourself feel like you've influenced and been a part of, some positive thing that you've done to help out others and help out fo- uh, your fellow community members. And when I s- talk to members of people's rights, overwhelmingly a majority of them just want to help they just want to be involved in their community they have concerns they want to have a voice they want to express those concerns and they just want to help and so i think if you don't have an opportunity or an outlet to help or voice your your opinion the second someone gives you a bullhorn or hands you a shovel to help out you're going to take it right and so i think people's rights have found a, a kind of a gap if you will in people's ability to to organize, to come together as a community and to voice their opinion. And they're growing rapidly because I think a lot of people want to help. A yeah. lot of people want to voice their opinion. And so that's the way that they're choosing to go about it. Adam, how do you think that do you see do you see COVID nineteen still impacting politics in Redmond? Yeah, I do. You still hear it coming up um, in conversations, be it at city council or just at local small events. There's a lot of grievance that is still taking place, uh, specifically towards the state level politicians and the implementation of various mandates that came down to the local level. And a lot of people wishing that there was more local control that they had had. And so I think that's driving a lot of people to start looking locally, start looking at smaller races, school board races, parks and rec. Um, library board and to actually start to get involved and to run and, and put themselves there because they feel, and this is just me making a conjecture, that if they are in these positions of power locally, they can push back more effectively at state level mandates. Yeah, it just seems like to me, you know, it, I can understand, I suppose, wanting to look back and not make the same mistakes. It just seems like it's really influencing everything we do and we by me by we i mean a lot of folks still have this like top of mind mhm yeah i agree with you at some point we need to move on and leave the conversation behind i think it's still fresh enough that people will hold on onto that pretty passionately and strongly at this point and i expect it to become less and less of a conversation as we move forward 
um, and just if I'm being quite honest, if if people continue to use that as a conversation piece or as a political piece moving forward, I think it's to their to their fault. I don't think it's going to help them out in any way. I don't think it's going to help them win elections. I think people are going to go tired of hearing about it. And so, you know, a little free advice for for some folks that maybe I wouldn't be voting for. I don't think it's going to help much longer. I, I don't think people want to hear about the pandemic anymore. We all want to move on and, and move forward. I understand the concerns about you know, government overreach, and that's ultimately what people's rights is all about. If you if you read their their website or hear them talk, it's it's all about when the government overreaches, we will stand up and and stand against that, and that's fine. But let's discuss what does government reach actually look like, right? What what control do we actually have at the local level, and how if you don't like that, how do you actually change that and influence that through law and order, not you know whatever plans they might be having? You know, the militia. I don't mm-hmm. think a militia is the appropriate answer for us at this time. Yeah. Going into the, well, I wanted to go back just a little bit, Adam, to try to understand as you've gotten more into this with your pack. So if if I'm correct, you guys had your first kind of weigh in or influence on the city council election in Redmond, am I right? That's correct. We started the pack in July. And a lot of what our goals were, really small goals, not trying to overreach or overextend ourselves. It was just trying to find leaders in the community who maybe needed just a bit more convincing to run, who would be effective in the role and effective in the job. They just don't feel like they would have had support either in the election itself or once they have been um, elected. I, prior to the election, had a city councilor call me and tell tell me like I I ran this election and I got elected and then it was crickets afterwards nobody (laughs) nobody was helping out anymore where did everybody go and that really stuck with me and so it's a it's a two-step process it's not only getting effective responsible leaders into positions of power be it at city council school board what have you but then supporting them and supporting them effectively not coming to city council meetings and yelling and bickering with other residents about this or that and labels getting thrown around or about things that have happened years and years and years ago. Let's talk about the things that are happening now and what's going to be happening because you don't have to look too hard to see what's coming down the turn, right? We have a lot of growth ahead of us and we have a lot of challenging problems ahead of us. We need to stay focused on them. And then this election, this coming May election, which which races are you looking to um, influence? Primarily school board. That's where we see the largest impact and the largest potential, simply because four of the five positions were open for election, which is very uncommon for us. And that's due to vacancies that happen in the middle of terms. Um, So those vacancies need to be reelected on. So that's a it's a huge, huge swing Four out of the five positions. And there's also been a lot of attention being put on our schools. Mm -hmm. And so we think it's really important to have a strong school board. Uh, that know how to communicate and talk with each other and not just stick their heels in the ground and, and be more of an activist than a willing participant in the process. So are you looking at, you know, kind of by the book what the role of a school board member is? What's what are, what's important to you in terms of looking for school board members? To be honest with you, yeah. Really going back down to the fundamentals of do, you, do we all know what a school board does and what its individual members are responsible for doing? Do you understand how much reading is going to take place in the role. Like you're going to have to read a lot of material and then make decisions on that material. You 
are going to have so many other roles and responsibilities that you probably didn't think of as you just sit at home and watch whatever it is that you watch on the news or hear about this one specific conversation that happened at the last school board meeting. So it really has been just getting down to the basics of do you know what it is? And I've talked to lots of teachers and staff throughout the school district, and I asked them if you could ask any of the candidates a question, what would it be? That is shockingly the first question that almost every single one of them say, do they even know what the job is or what they need to do? Another quick one is also, how are they going to support us? You know, a lot of teachers and staff, I don't think are feeling as much support as they'd like to have. And so how are you viewing your, your responsibility as an individual member and the board in how you can support the teachers and staff of our schools? So that's another question that has been top of our mind as we, as we meet with candidates. Yeah. Definitely something that we, and one of the first questions we ask our school board uh, endorsement candidates is, what is the role of a school board? Yeah, it's yeah. a great, it's a great litmus. It's actually a great litmus test question. And yeah. for listeners and voters, I would say the same thing when you're evaluating a candidate. We always want to, you know, are they speaking to issues that the school board or the city council or any of the, ra- whatever the race they're running for, are, are those the things that they're they're speaking to or those mm-hmm. the things they're addressing are they off on you know something they picked up from cnn or msnbc <laughs> exactly. and and they're stumping and they're you know with and and like you said in most of these things it's nonpartisan and they're painting a very red or blue picture for yeah. themselves as they move forward and and to that point we're a small town it doesn't take a lot of money or a lot of votes to be effective in a, an election and to win but it still takes money, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks, especially in troubling times, you don't have a lot of money to just throw around or you don't know who to ask. Um, so you end up going to the easy money, which is getting a party endorsement. And so that's also a history of uh, not just our town, many towns where small local nonpartisan elections, you do need some money to win. You don't know where to go get that money. And here's one of the two parties saying, We'll give you the money if you just behave and act exactly like we want you to behave and act. And so I think this not only puts people towards the extreme, starts putting people closer to the polls, leaves less room in the middle, but it just doesn't leave available an option or a road for somebody who wants to get elected and not take either party's endorsement without having to deep dip heavily into their own personal funds, which shouldn't, it, you know, I'd like to see a future where you don't have to have any personal funds. It's your character and the ideas that you're bringing that will make you effective at a, an election. And we can provide the support so that you don't have to go seek a party's endorsement. You can still get money for, for advertisements or for signs, get help with your voter pamphlet entry, which is incredibly important to win an election. We can help and assist with those things. Yeah, interesting just looking recently into some of the campaign finance for some of our candidates and, you know, now elected officials in Bend. You know, some of their largest donations are only a couple thousand dollars, and yet some of those folks who have given that money have been really made an effort to be quite influential with their couple thousand dollar donation. Yeah. Um, it doesn't take much, it sounds like. It doesn't. Like. <laughs> it really doesn't, I can tell you. It does not take a whole lot of money to heavily influence, if you will, uh, an election. I would like to say, maybe instead of influence, empower a campaign, right? A campaign can only get so much done without any money. Certainly there are things you can do. Um, I think Catherine Osborne was a great example of that in our city council race this last time around. She ran a really wonderful low-budget campaign, especially relative to some of the other candidates she was running alongside. So there's definitely an option. There's a road so that people don't have to take the party endorsement. They don't have to paint themselves red or blue. 
Um, they don't have to feel like they're just stumping for CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, that they can they can find the actual issues in our community, speak to those, and start to look for solutions. How How is your, your own... Um organization doing in terms of fundraising and, <laughs> and coming up with the uh, revenue to be influential in this space? Yeah, we're just like any other campaign. We're scrapping. We don't have a whole lot of funding. Um, it's been a lot of personal ask within advisor groups and friends, mm-hmm. personal connections, just like any other campaign would do. If you're going to run for office, the first thing you do is you open up your phone book and you start to look, okay, who, even if you haven't talked to them in a while, who can I ask for money, right? So we've been doing a lot of that kind of stuff folks that we already knew in town who are invested in Redmond's future, who want to see it success. They've been willing to contribute some to some funding for us. And it's mostly been to pay for event space so that we can start to just organize at a very small level. Um, we haven't made any big ad buys or signed buys or anything like that. It's also kind of interesting when, you know, we're bringing candidates into a room to also ask for money when, you know, <laughs> they are actively campaigning and running. Right. It seems like, uh, just give to the campaign if you have money to give they're gonna right. they're gonna do what they need with it right yeah adam duquette is from building redmond's future pack anything else you want to add before we head out of here adam come visit redmond our downtown is really growing and thriving we have a lot of great stuff going on a lot of exciting stuff in the future for us so come visit redmond appreciate you being here today yeah, thanks thank for you. being here adam yeah thank you for having me